previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I don't mind people being confident. I don't mind people being bold. But when you're stupid and you're confident, that's a problem. And he thought he could hang with me without knowing the knowledge that I had. It incensed me. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. This is episode 64 of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests share their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Sisters Nicole and Veronica Day have been diehard Baltimore Orioles fans since their childhood and are still to this day taking the opportunity to attend games over the past few seasons. But beyond that, the two have their own passions away from the diamond. In this episode, I talk with the Days about their passion for baseball, their fan experiences meeting their favorite players on the Orioles, and their thoughts on the dearth and decline of black baseball players in the majors. Nicole and Veronica also discuss their passions outside of baseball, including Nicole's interest in ice hockey, as well as K-pop music, Veronica's interest in reggaeton, and much more. And now, here's my interview with Nicole and Veronica Day. My guest are sisters Nicole and Veronica Day, and they are here to talk about their baseball fandom as and Baltimore Orioles fans particularly. And I'm glad to have them on the show. I've known them for a very, very long time. So far back, I, it's too hard to keep track of and count. It's at least a good <laughs> decade or so. You know, I always have to ask, when it comes to particular sports and things that people are fans of, how did you become a fan? With me, baseball, it was actually through my brother. Actually, it was spring training game. It's crazy that I remember this, but it was a spring training game between the Mets and the Orioles. And he insisted that I watch it. He was a Mets fan. I don't know how he became a Mets fan, considering we were living in Maryland. But he was like, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. I was like, oh, my God. And I sat and watched it, and I just fell in love. Ever since then, I've been a huge baseball fan, and that's how I became a fan. And we, we shared a room together, so she would watch it on um, on TV, basically. We've been watching the Orioles since we were kids. Like, we grew up on watching Cal and Brady and then Mike Devereaux mm-hmm. and then George Slacky and so forth. So we've been O's fans for quite some time then now. Yeah, that was like every day in the summertime. By 7, I'd have in the house, I had dinner, and I was in parked in front of that TV watching HTS and – like, I can still remember, like, the it coming on and, like, Tom Davis and all the pregame and all that. And so that's pretty much how it started with me and you. Yeah, I remember watching, when I became a fan of the Orioles, it was 1994. And, yeah, I was so glad I found baseball. Actually, it wasn't even on HDS. It was actually uh, Channel 20 in D.C. I was living in Salisbury on my first mm-hmm. Washington Orioles game. It was Orioles-Angels. Ripken hit a grand slam uh, that game. It was like July, no, June, I think it was like June of 94, and I just got pulled into it, and it was just, from there, who expected it to be such a big thing that nearly 25 years later, I've been following the team and continuously uh, watching them, regardless of how bad they are or, or yep. how they've been. I mean, <laughs> yep. you know, I'm glad that, you know, I've had that opportunity to follow this team from the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's one thing with me, like I, I've gone through phases where it was different sports and, you know, and music and all that. But that's one thing that's always that I've always liked is baseball. That's my one constant through everything has been baseball. So and you like you said, it's like been over 20 plus years. And it's just, you know, with the Orioles, it's like, you know, as much as you get upset and frustrated with them, it's like you, you can't you keep going back to them because it's just, you know, that I guess that's just what being a you know, a fan of diehard fan is, or, you know. Yeah. And I remember in that time, like I said, my go-to place to watch sporting events was uh channel 
10 WDCA. And not only would the uh, the Orioles be on there, they'd be on Channel 13 too, but the Bullets would be on there. I'd watch the Bullets when they were on the West Coast sometimes, or they played night games and then finally got HCS, and then I'd watch them there. And honestly, I think between all the teams I followed, I followed the Orioles more intently than I do everybody else now, including mm-hmm. the, the, the Wizards and the, the, the Redskins, even though they're giving a reason to sort of find – a way to have interest in them and of course the caps i mean i feel like hmm. the caps tend to get overlooked a lot especially in the area yeah. because one it's hockey and two that hey, when you think about it they're the first team since the redskins in 91 to actually win a championship uh in dc and i feel like yeah they don't that's get true they do like uh some of the other teams should yeah that's true that is true that's a good point yeah and, and they consistently play well too you know, and they've got a lot of marquee players on, on the Capitals, but they, in in the market, and other markets, I guess I should say, they get their attention and, and they get their just due, you know, they do desserts, but the Capitals have always been that a team that's been overlooked. So I completely agree in regards to that. So. Yeah, and I think that, you know, watching a lot of those teams, uh, I mean, because it's bad, I can remember a lot of the rosters of those teams uh, on the Caps teams, Joey Juno, of course, Jim Carrey and Nett before Olaf Kolzig, uh, Mike mm-hmm. Tenorti, Craig Berube, uh, Callie Johansson. And it's just like all those names, they just pop out of nowhere. You could just pick a name of a random obscure player that from that age, I follow a particular sport. I could tell you, man, that brings back so many memories. Like now you ask a, maybe an Orioles fan who's been watching it for like 30 years, you ask them about Chris Hoyles, they can think of, well, I think of the grand slam that he hit against Seattle in the bottom of the ninth, the walk-off oh, yeah. against Norm Charlton in Camden Yards, and it's like, that, that, you know, that comes back to me instantly. Even the two grand slams he hit against Cleveland, it's just crazy. And, because particular yeah. guys, even if they aren't stars, will have uh, memories that are embedded you know they'll be embedded into your memories forever even if it isn't of anyone of any importance i mean somebody who maybe had a cup of coffee at one point i i know i always talk with ben he always talks about one of the people that sticks out to him in orioles history is cheeto martinez does no particular Uh, reason no particular reason (laughs) but just cheeto martinez yeah and i think that's the good thing about the orioles they've like throughout their history they haven't all you know for a while they really didn't have like big star players with exception of cow but they always had like I don't want to say like role players, but they always had people who would come up big. And for a long time, Chris Hoyles was our catcher, you know, and he was he was the go to guy and he knew like the pitchers really well and he handled the staff. And so, you know, that that's I think that's one of the reasons I like the Orioles so much. They had so many good players that they didn't get the attention or, you know, they didn't get like all the publicity, but they were. I mean, I, I think of like when I think of, I think of Jeff Robele when, you know, they were had that run back in like, like 90, was it 96, 96, 97. Yeah. He was a key part of the team. Um, you know, they had, and then and that, those two teams that year, they had a lot of guys on there who just came up clutch, you know, and they had him and um, like Lenny Webster was on there for a few years. So yeah, they always seem to, you know, putting guys that even when we weren't doing well, they had that whatever it was that where they could play really well. And you know, fans kind of were drawn to them. So that's, that's, you know, one thing that's good. I think they're personable too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of the other teams and so forth, you know, we always would go to games every year 
in the summertime and after every game without fail they'd stop and at least yeah one or two guys would stop and you know i remember um what was the third tony batista the one that played third what was his first name can't think his first yeah, name right tony batista. but he um, he, yeah and he i remember he stopped like a lot of guys were going some guys stopped but i remember he stopped and he like signed it and he wrote this like and he took his time and he wrote like a bible a bible scripture on the baseball and he like would sit there and all the guys were kind of like going, some guys stopped, but he literally stayed there and wrote, you know, Bible verse on the, you know, on the day. And that, 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 that goes a long way. Like, and you, you remember stuff like that. So. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is that particular people will stand out. I mean, like someone mentioned, I think uh, I did an interview with Hunter Parsons, a minor leaguer in the Mets organization. He talked about Luis Matos that, that it sticks out to him. Oh, Mm-hmm. I remember him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, those awful. I remember days, him. Those awful days of the Orioles in the early two thousands. Yeah. Uh, you know, Larry Bigby, uh, uh, Luis Montes, mm-hmm. Jay Gibbons, Daniel Cabrera, Palmero coming back the second go round. Um, yep. Tejada, all those guys, and it's just it's crazy how you can go from at one point watching you know, Ripken, Palmero, Hoyles, all those guys going through the guys who never made it like, you know, Chris Richard, uh, Jay Gibbons, um, mm-hmm. Eric Bedard, and then going to Jones and Markakis and, and, and Weeders and Machado up to this new group of Orioles, which make it a bit, uh, you know, that's the one thing about any a team of uh, being a fan of any team is just like you're there through all the transition areas, yep. eras, and you know the good, the bad, and the ups and downs. Uh, to you, what was your first experience going to a major league ball game? What was it like? And and I know some people will remember it so vividly. Mine was 1995. It was Orioles Brewers. Uh, we went for a class field trip, and I was just so taken aback by that whole experience. Mine was um was a field trip too, but unfortunately it rained, and I remember I was so upset. Nobody else seemed to care. I was upset because we couldn't sit down because it was raining. And they're like, "Oh, we can't. It's raining." And I'm like, "So?" I'm like, "You would just wipe off the, you know." I, I remember. I still remember, and I remember standing like with my classmates and over and looking onto the field, and I was like, "Can we just go out there?" I, I and I still remember that vividly in my mind, and I was like, oh, like I was so upset because we didn't get the what we. We just to kind of just stand out there, and I remember, I remember buying a whole bunch of souvenirs. But I that's what I remember very vividly. And then like the first game, I actually remember sitting. I think it was like like maybe ninety five. I say, and I think it was I want to say it was versus like the Angels, but it was just getting because my cousin took us. I believe. Oh no, it was the Mar. Was it the Mar? It might have been the Mariners. Um, my cousin took us. I remember sitting up, probably higher up. But I just remember like the first time walking on getting out there and seeing, and, and even to this day, when I go to the game for the first time in the year, when you walk out into Camden Yards, I mean, it's just, it, it's just, it amazes me how I still, how beautiful it still is, and how still, when you, I still get that, like, awe feeling like it's the first time, but yeah, I remember my, I remember my game, first game vividly, and it was, like I said, it sucks, I didn't get to see the game, but, um, yeah. How about yeah, you, I mean, I think, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was saying, how about you, Nicole? Now, I was going to say, so for me, it's not necessarily one particular game that stands out. I mean, like, you know, Veronica and I have been going a while. I think since, like, 96 is when we actually started. We went, took a whole week off, and spent a whole week going to the games and so forth. Um, I guess if I had to pick one out in particular, I would probably say it would be, let's see, what year did we go to that game? Where we sat down, we were, like, maybe three rows back. 
and it was towards the end of the season. So we had players that were signing autographs and so forth. And just kind of looking at the interaction he had with the fans and, and actually getting to see the the stadium and even like the field that close, the grass and everything and the whole atmosphere. And that's back when the Orioles fans, and they're still good fans to this day, but that's when they're really good fans. And yeah. They stood behind you know, their team and their players. So every player that came out got that cheer and a standing ovation. And I mean, it's been like something where we've done so much that it's, it's hard to choose and yes. pick a particular like wonderful moment. But, you know, we, we haven't been able to go lately. Um, you know, ever since having Kirsten, it kind of puts things, you know, makes things a little bit more difficult to take a week off and, and find someone to watch her during that time. But, you know, I, I really miss it because it, it's just, it was enjoyable. So, yeah, what she's talking about is like when we and this is before they started winning again. So it was like in the era of like the Jay Gibbons and um the Melvin Moras and I I still remember Melvin Moras last game because we went we we would make a point to always go to the last game of the season. And you still had and that's what she's talking about. like the fans were still coming out back then. Like they still were there supporting the team and because I remember when Cal retired, I was like, I think we didn't have anybody come out and they they still had fans. I mean it wasn't like it was when Cal was there, but they people were still showing up. And I remember we, Melvin, I distinctly remember because I was like, why can't they resign him? And I was so upset because they had said they weren't going to resign him. But every time Melvin Moore came to the back, he got a standing ovation. I mean, every every play he made, and that just shows how the Oriole fans, you know, especially during that era, they really would, they really were diehard. Like, and I hate to say ride or die, but they really were ride or die. And they, if you came in and you played every day, they appreciated you, even if you were, you know. From if you're cow or just somebody who would come in and pinch it, that's just how Oriole fans, you know, were all they always that really diehard, you know, like good fan base. I guess comparing Baltimore to maybe some of the other stadiums, I'm not sure if you guys have been to a lot of Phillies games or anything else comparable to that. I've been to a couple, yeah. How would you compare that to the environment of an Orioles game? Well, it's so funny because one of my really good friends, he's not a sports fan at all, but he went with. Uh, he went to a Phillies game. He went to Orioles, Orioles game with his family. And it was so funny. He's like, I, he's like, I can't even tell you. He's like, the difference in the fans. He's like, in Baltimore, he's like, everybody was so nice and everyone was kind. He's like, in Philly, it was completely different. So I look at it like that. I think, you know, in Baltimore, people are more relaxed and kind of chill. And they're like, you know, they're more likely to, at least back, you know, it used to be this way. They're more likely to be like, kind of have like a friendly camaraderie. Whereas in Philly, they're very like, they're really, um, I don't know what word to use, but they're like, very, abrasive, yeah. aggressive. it's like, you know, they, they anticipate the players, I guess, winning. They're like, hey, I'm paying you, so right. you need to do, but they don't have appreciation and not everybody has a good day. Some people have off days, even like not just interactions with the, the players, but the fans themselves. I went to a national, we went to a national game and I, I, I said to Veronica, I said, oh my gosh, these people here are so rude. If this had been, you know, Camden Yard, and somebody cut me off, they would be like, oh, I'm sorry, or, you know, just general courtesies and so forth. I think you kind of see, and I think the Orioles fans have always kind of been known for that. And it's just a shame that they're not getting the support that they were getting, you know, even the changes to front office and players and so forth, because they had really good fans that supported them, treated them nice, and kind of had good interactions with each other as well, so... And they always used to, I don't know if they still do this, Earl, you can test, but you know, they used to always say at the beginning of the game, they're always like, you know, um, I remember, I don't remember the exact message, but he always said, you know, maintain your, 
um, maintain your um, thing as the best fans in baseball. And I always thought that was, I didn't think it was just the announcer being, you know, full of it. I thought really the Orioles fans really were the best friends in baseball. You know what I mean? And I know at one point they had gotten up, like they were top for, you know, best fans um, as far as like courtesy and stuff. I don't know how it is now, but as much, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think they they have the reputation of best fans in baseball, even though a lot of them may not be showing up as much. But uh, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hear the comparisons of Baltimore, maybe like a St. Louis, it might be the next best thing when it comes to fans, unless you're a Cubs fan. Oh, like yeah. St. Yeah, Louis. St. Louis fans are really, yeah. yeah. They always, it, seem, it seems like they're, fan, they're, whenever, it doesn't matter what time of year, it seems like their stadium's always packed. Like, it just... Their fans really are like there. Yeah, and I think like I was saying before, yeah, yeah, everybody says St. Louis is great unless you're a Cubs fan, and then it's it's sort of a whole <laughs> different story going there. But yeah, I think really it's a really good stadium. I think uh the fans are are great, especially the ones who actually understand that hey, this is a rebuild, that they're going through it. And I think that's a lot of the Orioles fans are very smart. They know about the rebuild. They know that this isn't gonna be instant you know, this isn't gonna be an instant turnaround. It's gonna take right. some years. And I think as long as you tell the the fans that and don't sell them a bill of goods like they did with twenty eighteen, like, oh yeah, we got one more run in us. We got one more time with the old band before we break it up. And then it just sort of, you know, go out like a thud. That was that mm. is an example where people will not be very happy about what's going on. And I and I couldn't blame them either yeah. because who would right. want That's to be a part of, of uh, you know, sold all this stuff and maybe they had the potential of going and just something happened where they just were not you know, they're, they weren't good. And people were expecting, Oh, they will be more like a little more like the early part of 2017 instead of the tail end where they just, just mm. fell off the face of the earth. But you know, those things tend to happen. And I think that, yeah, I mean, even when I went to Philly, it wasn't too bad. Their hot dogs are horrible that I'll give them that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Hatfield hot dogs. And I'm going to say this now uh, for this audience, Hatfield hot dogs are horrible. Phillies fans, you guys know it. They, you know, there's a reason they sell them for a dollar uh, on dollar dog nights. They're trying to get rid of the supply. But, I mean, <laughs> even, even though they've changed, uh, the Orioles have changed the vendors for hot dogs since SK doesn't exist anymore. But the, oh. yeah, yeah. SK, a Smithfield discontinued SK hot dogs. Uh, the I did not know that. Yeah, I, la, uh, last year they did it, and then they brought in this brand from Frederick, Maryland called Hoffman's. They're really good hot dogs. They are probably mm-hmm. the best uh, ballpark hot dogs I've had, and they're all beef because I'm I'm a I'm a hot dog snob to be honest. They have to be beef. <laughs> I won't eat any if a hot dog is made of chicken, it's not a hot dog. If a yeah, hot I don't that hot dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't great. do. I'm like hot dog has to be beef. I'm like I don't know what this chicken crap yeah. is, but no. Yeah, pork. Mm-hmm. It's not a hot dog. It's a sausage, and I have no problem with sausage. <laughs> but a pork, there, you know, there to me, there's no such thing as a pork hot dog. That is a sausage, and and and. You know, you we have to be honest about that. We'd be lying to ourselves. We'd definitely be lying to ourselves if people thought, okay, oh yeah, this is pork as a hot dog. No, it's not. It's not. I can I can <laughs> see chicken as a sausage because people eat chicken sausage. I can see turkey as a sausage, but no, I don't see it as a hot dog. A hot dog, yeah, me either. Mm-mm. And and I know this has always been a discussion about certain things on uh, certain. Uh, certain foods, but how, uh, how do you eat your hot dogs? And do you count as a same? Well, I'm very, I'm very plain. I just do, I do, I either like it plain or just a little bit of onion on. I'm not, I'm not a big, like 
condiment. I don't like ketchup, and unless it's on like a burger or something, I'm not a big ketchup mustard person. So I kind of eat. Although I do really like chili dogs, though. Chili dogs are really good. Um, but so I eat the juice, chili chili cheese dog, or just plain, or just a little bit of onion. Yeah, I do mine with mustard and uh, spicy mustard and onions. Yeah, and I I know it's it's interesting to see how many people like their hot dogs so many different ways. I'll go relish, ketchup, mustard. I I mean, I I sometimes worry about the people who who think about uh who talk about uh mayonnaise on um Oh god. No. No. no, no. Yeah, mayonnaise is I don't put mayonnaise in anything. That to me is like the devil's like I don't know. It's the devil's food. It's the devil's paste. I do not like mayonnaise. Absolutely not. I don't do mayonnaise unless it's already in like like chicken salad or um something like that. But I don't I don't put it on my yeah, I don't matter. And I, the people that I I don't get the people that dip their fries in mayo. I don't get that either. I I can't do that. I'm like, "Ooh." See, I, I, but I guess uh-huh. you know. <laughs> I always feel like you got to have sandwich lubrication and I, I can't do mustard on sandwiches unless it's honey mustard is only on turkey, but I uh, like my mayo or miracle whip on, on my ham sandwich and I just can't do it. I can't eat a dry sandwich. I've tried. It's hard. It's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. See, I like, I like it. Well, it depends on what kind of sandwich it is too. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, I, I don't understand. I, I, yeah. Dry sandwiches to me have always been an issue. I just can't figure it out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's a thing. Everybody has their habits. I, I, you know, I always saw this sort of like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen undercover brother where they talk about, uh, mayonnaise and, and, and black people not liking mayonnaise, which I don't know if that is completely true. I know a lot of people don't like it. I don't, I think it's more of a consistency thing instead of along cultural lines because I, right. I know plenty of white people who don't like mayonnaise and I'm like, no, well, that's exactly. Funny. Yep. You know, I mean, and I don't, I don't discourage people for food taste. It's just, you just think it's like, well, it's not something along cultural divide because there's plenty of people I know who like, uh, who like mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, one of the things I also wanted to ask about, because um, I know we can always go into like most memorable moments as being Orioles fans, but I, I think one of the questions I'd like to ask you is, I know you were big fans and, and, and big attendees of Orioles Fan Fest over the, the past few years prior to them ending it uh, last, well, technically this year. What mm-hmm. was an event, what was that event like when you guys went, really, what was to you what was the biggest draw of that event for me it was just like the interaction with the players um the first year we went it was um and i don't know if you ever went when it was but it was outside it was april and it was cold <laughs> and it was outside it was in camden yards because it was a couple of days before the season started and they used to and what they did then was they put the players they didn't have um vouchers then they would put the players like in different things and you would go into the section and i remember i'll never forget this but my sister and I stood in line forever. We were, and we were in the line that had, it was like Brian Roberts, um, Felix PA. Um, oh, it's kind of had the other guy who was a pitcher and a couple other people. And they were like, Oh, it's time to go. They got to go. Everyone left but Brian Roberts and Brian Roberts stayed like at least 30 minutes after everyone else. And when he, <laughs> we got, I remember she was like, we're, they're going to stop right before us. I was like, no, we'll be fine. And right when we were about to go, they just, when they stopped it. And I was like, oh no. And we had stood in line so long and we, it was really disappointing. But then the next year they had it in the convention center. And once it went to the convention center, I think it was a whole lot better. And the first, I think a couple of years there, you didn't have to have a voucher. You would just stand in line 
But then it became to a point where it was people were staying in line forever and ever. And that became an issue. So they started selling the vouchers, which in a way is good. But you have to be like, as soon as they go on sale, you have to literally be on there. Because I've gone on there and, and both of us were trying to get them and they were like snagged up. So a couple of times we were actually able to get them. And that was that was good. But you said stay in line. But yeah, like they have all kinds of like different things where you can do with the players. They have um, the different um, things where you go. And I, don't, I think you've been to a couple where you you can talk, you can ask some questions. And then they had the trivia ones. And then I like doing the picture ones. Um, there's one where you pay like a certain amount of money and it goes to charity. And they'll, they'll they flip flop players in and out. And sometimes we'll just stand in line and do that because that to me is like the, the it's, it, it's annoying waiting in line. But at the same time, it's like, it, you, you know, you don't get that. That's something you treasure. And I have like a whole bunch of um, pictures of different players and that I like that. And then. I know one year I I was got I'd actually been like enough to get Adam Jones voucher, and we didn't expect there to. Well, I I knew it was gonna be a lot of fans. I think it was the it was the year after the the last game of the season where they knocked the Red Sox out, and and I mean that was like we actually went to that game and that was probably my favorite game I've ever been to, because it was like a playoff atmosphere and it, that was like one of the best games in baseball history, and with and it was all within like 10, 15 minutes, and I remember how excited the fans were. And I was like, you know, I think this is going to catch on. And I was like, I think, so when we got our tickets the next, for the next fan fest, I was like, I think there were going to be a lot of people. And she didn't think there was going to be. I was like, I don't think a lot of people. We got there. The line was all the way out, like way past Charles Street. And I was like, oh gosh, I was like, we're not going to make it. Because his was like the first. So how we got in there, it was late. And I was so upset. (laughs) I remember I was like, dang it. And, but the next year they had, um, Masson had the booth where you could stand in line. And we were like the second one's in line for Adam Jones and we stood there for like what it was like an hour mm-hmm. like, a, like maybe longer but I was like I'm not getting out yeah, of line Ben saw us standing in line that year he was mm-hmm. like oh you guys are waiting in line we're like yelp but we literally stood there and I mean and I don't I don't regret it because that's like now especially now that Adam Jones is no longer with the Orioles that's like a memory that and he was really nice he's, he's got a great personality I think that's why he was so beloved in Baltimore but that's like where you get to see the players you know, I mean, you already with Adam Jones, you kind of always know how his personality is because he's the same as he on on camera. But like Jim Palmer, I had always kind of like Jim Palmer kind of came off to me as kind of arrogant. He's like to me, so he was always dissing the Orioles. But he is the nicest. When we got there, he was just so nice, and I was like, I didn't expect that of Jim Palmer. But that, and that's what I think that's what's good about Fan Fest. It shows you you get to see a different side of the players, and then. um and like they had, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to have the ones with the um, alumni players. And I remember one year I got Chris Hoyles and I was like, all the years Chris Hoyle played, I never got to get his autograph. And then I was able to get that. So I think there's just that. And then being around like fans and getting to talk to other fans and seeing where they're at. That's, I mean, I think it's just, I really, I think it's a lot. And I think it's sad that they canceled it this year. I mean, I, I don't know. That was kind of messed up, but I, you know, but that it, it just it's really it's, it's a lot of fun and I, I that's something I think they should definitely need to bring back especially if they're trying to get fans to kind of come back because you know I think that's a way to get them back and hyped up just get to see the players and get to know them and you know and that that to me is the best thing is just interacting with the players and even just seeing them walk around when they would be taken to different sections and just you just got to see their personalities because somebody might a fan might yell something out to them and they might make a joke back or whatever so just that just interaction with the players and getting to see them outside of when they're just on TV playing the game. That's what I like about it. I don't know what about you. I feel like the same way. I feel like it's uh, just the interaction, you know, getting to meet the players and so forth. You know, as Veronica mentioned, we both kind of thought 
Jim Palmer was very arrogant. He was probably one of the nicest persons that year we went to Fan Fest. We took pictures and he conversed with us and kind of, you know, joking, was joking with us yeah. about how short we were and, and the fans as well, like seeing other fans because, you know, the one year we went, um, you know, sometimes they have the best intentions, but their lineup for the pitchers for players doesn't go accordingly. You get people that cut in front of you. And the one year we had these guys, like oh, three were funny. huge guys that they were, were like linebackers, <laughs> were like, uh-uh, ain't nobody sitting cut in front of you. We got you, girls. We got you, girls. And we just kind of build a relationship with them and just kind of jokes waiting in line and so forth. I mean, I completely agree. It's a shame they got rid of it because I think that was the way for the players to come out and kind of show their appreciation for the fans and vice versa. The fans show their appreciation for the players. Um, I definitely love the the pictures. You could pay $5. It was usually like $5. And they went to charity. And they would stand there, like, you know, and rotate and so forth in between their sessions to go over and talk to something else. Because then they went to charity. And a lot of times you get to see their personalities in that one as well. And then the one group kind of wanted to do, like, their, like, little – fake picture or not a fake picture but like they wanted to like replicate a picture of a baseball team and they had a little like blow up baseballs and you know they sat there and did them and a player did them with them and so you know it's just I, I guess the interaction with both the players and the fans so and I think the disappointing part is that they really never gave a reason as to why they were discontinuing fan fest which is one tough thing but I think for the big Orioles fans who are diehards or who are sticking with the rebuild, regardless of how long it may take the issue of having these new caravans while great in practice logistically was horrible because there was nothing for the Eastern shore. You basically abandon your Eastern shore fans who Mm -hmm. would normally drive up to Baltimore and do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you only have them in limited areas. You only have them in Baltimore. You don't do D.C. There are still Orioles fans in D.C. You don't do Northern Virginia. You don't do Pennsylvania. There are Orioles fans in Delaware, too, because I know I see a ton of Ravens fans in, in Delaware, so I know they have to be Orioles fans as well. And you've sort of isolated your fan base. And mm. with this coronavirus stuff that's now making things tough to get anywhere it could be interesting to see how all major league teams are probably going to take a hit in fan base and and people coming to games but with all the stuff going on and just sort of uh seems like a bit of uncertainty with what the future of this team will be i think that it makes it a little tough and i'm all gung-ho i already got my opening day tickets for whenever opening day will end up being. <laughs> but um which is funny tickets for opening day were easier to get than photos for, for i like, know i saw that and i was like what because I, I saw the email and i was like are you serious i was like i can get them and i don't i just i figured i was like well i probably won't you know but i really wish i'd known in advance that they were doing that because i would have tried to get them because like you said they usually don't do that yeah, you could get up to eight tickets. Before, I remember before they started clamping down when they were winning, you could get up to eight tickets for opening day. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they made it well. If you're a higher a season ticket holder, you get two automatic ones. But then you get to order up to two more. And then uh, I'm mm-hmm. like a 13-game plan holder, which probably works out the best for me. You can always schedule them around your, your off days or things like that. You are only getting one per seat in your account. So 
So we were oh. only getting two seats. And now all of a sudden, okay, we renewed. And I'm like, oh, you can get up to eight this time. And I'm like, man, all you needed was just one season ticket pass, which is like 200 bucks, <laughs> which honestly isn't bad when you think about it. I know everybody's like, how do you guys no, go to baseball not. games all the time? No, 200 bucks for 13 games and the opportunity to get more and playoff games if they make it. Not bad at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, eight tickets. Yeah. And it's like, wow. That, that's insane. Before we were just struggling to find standing room only tickets at a, at a cheap price for opening days. And this will be right. what my 10th opening day. Cause we missed one because I missed the email deadline for, you know, the, the announcement for getting tickets for that one opening day. I think it was against Toronto and Baltimore and you know, it was a disaster anyway, a couple of years ago <laughs> during the buck run, but I've been, this will be what my 10th opening day. And Oh, wow. Yeah, 10th opening day. I went to opening day with one of my friends uh, whose dad had tickets. He works in a bank in D.C., and he had tickets. And they um, was like, hey, had the ticket. Let's do it. It was Because that was Ray's Orioles, and I know Jeremy Guthrie got shelled that game. But (laughs) every particular opening day game has a memory. Actually, this might be my... Let's see. Actually, it might be my 11th or 11th opening day now, to come think about it. Because when I look back at it, I remember a chunk of the opening days... But yeah, it's just crazy because, yeah, you don't expect it, but it is a fun time. When you go opening day, it's easy to be cliche about it. It's like hope springs eternal. It's a brand new season. All the remnants of last year, whatever disappointment there was, because there's always going to be 29 losers and only one world champ. And you look at it, there, you know, a lot of optimism going on, especially we don't know what this team could be like. They could surprise everybody. They could win more than they're expected. But, you know, it always gives you that optimism and the weather's nice. I like I don't think I've ever been to an opening day that's been postponed weather wise. Let's let's say that that hasn't been postponed due to weather because they played every game. Either they'll wait a little longer or they'll play through it. I remember those times, what the, the Gary Matthews game where they lost the ball in the snow and, uh, I think Jacob. I was about to say stuff. that. Yeah. Wasn't it against Cleveland? Was it Cleveland? Yeah, it was against Cleveland, okay. I believe. And, <laughs> and they had the walk off because I was in college back then. So that was like, had to be like 03, 04. And it was just crazy to think, man, they, they never stop, really, unless it's like. Like in Cincinnati in like 95 where the umpire died and they had to stop all that. They are going to go through oh, the opening day yeah. unless it's like rain. Rain. And even then, like I said, I remember. I think it was 2012 opening day and they had to having the walk off and actually no, it was 20. I think it was 2015 opening day. They had the walk off and they tried to start it early. Chris Tillman was a starter, but it's just crazy. I know it was going off on a tangent there, but opening days are always a fun experience. And I, I always feel like that's the best part of the baseball season. In addition to all the other games and everything else that goes on around it. And I feel like compared to like minor league baseball, where it's a different animal, where you are promoting really your team and your organization, and all the events going on, as opposed to the players, because the players will change so often. Yeah. One thing I have to do is do opening day. I've never been to an opening game, so the opening day. So I've got to, you know, get an opening day one day. Because I know it's just, even watching it on TV, it's just, you know, like you said, it's just like, it's just like, you feel like it's a whole new you know, era. It's like, it's springtime. So you're thinking, okay, all, you know, depending on how the winter was, it's like winter's leaving. It's just a really great time. And especially a lot of times it's the opening, I always remember an Orioles game being during the day. So it's bright outside, you know, when it's not snowing. And it's very, like, you can just tell. And then watch them run down an orange carpet and all that. And that, I, that's something I definitely want to experience, like, like live, not just on TV. Because watching it on TV, it's great. And even, but you can't imagine what it's like to see it live and in person. 
Yeah, and I think there's nothing like it being there. I've seen a different share of uh, things that happen over the day. People getting fighting, people celebrating, <laughs> people jumping on the field. And, and believe me, those things tend to happen a lot. And that was just, what, 2011, I think. 2011 or 2009. Nah, it was that one year's like Mike Gonzalez blew a save and everybody was all pissed off. People were fighting in the streets and fighting, fighting in front of the postgame show. And Oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know. <laughs> Can't say people aren't passionate about their Orioles. Uh, that's one thing that's definitely a guarantee. And now I know that we see it a lot. And as black baseball fans, I feel like we've seen a decline in black baseball players. And I think from what, when I first started watching in 94, you think of Bonds, Griffey, Sheffield, Mike Devereaux. I mean, and they all weren't stars. Oh. Kenny Lofton, Albert Bell, Kirby Puckett, Tony Gwynn, everybody. And it's like, you could name like 20, 30 black players all, all at the top of your hand. Now it's like, uh, it's yep. very tough. And it's really hard to even think. It's like, I don't even know who most of these guys are. And I, maybe just because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like limiting myself and watching more of the Orioles than anybody else. But it's like, I can't keep track of them. And there's like, there's hardly any black players left. Yeah. Um, I think like last year it was less than 70 players. And that's, that's crazy. When you think, like you said, when you think of the era when like Grissom was playing, to add to your list, you got Mar- you had Marquise Grissom. You had Ozzie Smith, Lee. I can't think of his last name, but you had all, you know, Eric Davis. Oh, yeah. um, you had all those play- players. Charles Johnson. Dwight's you know, dad. you're right. And you could, Kenny, oh yeah, Kenny Lofton. Kenny oh, yeah. Lofton was one of the best center fielders at, in his time. You had all those players. I remember how proud I was. I don't know, they used to have, I don't remember the source sports. They had source, had actually a sports magazine. And I went to Baltimore one time with my mom and dad. When, this is when I was a kid or younger. And we were in a, like a drugstore. And there was a source sports there. And it had... Lenny Webster and Charles Johnson on it. And I was so proud. I was like, oh, because the order of the time, they had the, and it was like, I don't even know if they might have been the first time when there was two African-American catchers on the same team. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so great. And it was so proud. And, you know, and I remember Jet used to send out every year before baseball season, they would they would have a list of the uh, African-American players. And every year it would just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And you're right now, it's just like, and then, of course, now you have one less since Adam Jones isn't there anymore. And then Sebastian and retired. It's just, and Curtis Granderson, he retired too. So that's three yeah, of those black players. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And it's, it's sad because, you know, when you think of all the rich history and how much, you know, the African-Americans have contributed to baseball and, you know, just starting with Jackie Robinson and just, you know, going down and with Satchel Page, and, and even though he really didn't get to playing baseball like that, but still it's just, and, you know, um, Bobby Bonds. And Hank Aaron, all them, and it's like it's just sad because you know you look around and it's like, and there's there was teams. I think there was maybe two or three teams last year that didn't have any black players on there at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's hard. It's it, and it's hard being, and I'm sure you knew it's like what I'm talking about. But being growing up a, a African American baseball fan, people were looking at me like I was like I had horns in my head. They're like, you like baseball? Like, they don't black people don't play baseball? I'm like, yes, they do. And I was like, I would like start rattling off the players. I was like, oh no, there's so and so and so, and it's like. It's difficult because people, they always say it's, you know, they always say, oh, it's a white boy sport. Oh, it's Latino boy sport. And I'm like, well, black people play too. And it, it is difficult. And I know there's a lot of untapped talent, you know, young kids out there who, you know, play the game. And they, I don't think it's promoted enough within the African-American community because I think one of the reasons is, is they, they don't think it's cool. You know, that's not, they're like, well, that's not cool to play baseball. It's all, you know, they've always been geared toward basketball or football. And it's sad because you want it to, you, that's something you want to continue and you want that passion that those players had you want to see that in the next generation and it's just like 
you know, you don't know if it is because I think baseball needs like somebody who they can promote. Like, I feel like, and I'm not just saying it because I'm a huge Adam Jones fan, but I feel like they missed the opportunity with somebody like Adam Jones. I think Adam Jones could have been the person that they kind of used to bring in a lot of African-American fans because he had that personality. I mean, he was friends with everybody. You know, he was friends with the Latino guys. You know, he and Nick Marquez were really good friends and they're, they couldn't be more different. But he had that, and maybe it's because he's from San Diego, but he had that personality, but he was still really proud of who he was. And, you know, he was always quick to, you know, I remember one year he got like, um, at the time, I think it was, it was just he, Michael Givens and um, Jonathan Scope. And he got them all shirts for like the, something was to do with the Negro Leagues. And he had, he had all three of them shirts and that's just how he was. So I think that they could have used somebody like him to promote baseball to the African-Americans and bring that fan base in. So, yeah. I don't know. I think part of the problem is you have people that probably play it in high school, but they're multi-sport athletes, and they feel like it's more lucrative in other sports as opposed to in baseball, Mm -hmm. especially if you're not seeing that presence there, because they might have the mindset of, it doesn't even seem like they're recruiting African-American players, and it could be that as well. They're not being recruited as actively or as sought after as other players um, in regards to that. But there's definitely a decline because I remember even when we were coming up as, you know, younger coming up in the sport, there was a lot. But there also, as Veronica said, were people that were like, well, baseball really isn't a black person's sport. You know, they kept thinking it was more so basketball or they'd be in like football. So I think they have to change that perception that it's not because you absolutely can. I know at one point they were trying to say it was the they didn't have it available to them. There's not a lot of um, baseball fields in inner city and so forth. But to me, like that implies that that's where all African-American people live and they don't. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean you probably don't have as many baseball fields as you would a basketball court or so forth, but you still do have people that probably play it. It's just, you know, they're looking at what's more lucrative or what they may be sought after. I mean, if you got some a kid that does both, but you got people recruiting him, you know, from the University of Kentucky for a basketball, he's going to go that because he's got a scholarship. He's not going to be like, all right, well, no, I'm going to decline a scholarship and I'm going to go and just play baseball. And even at HBCUs like UMES, where I went, most of mm-hmm. HBCUs, there are less black baseball players on the team. And again, and I'm not saying there's an issue with it. It's just that either people aren't doing baseball as much as they should anymore or, you know, and it could be the same thing said with hockey. And I know, Nicole, you're a big hockey fan as well. And mm-hmm. I don't know if people look at you funny because you like watching hockey. And I don't know whether they will look at you more funny because, oh, a woman likes hockey or, or you're black and you like hockey. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the same look as you would for for watching baseball. Right. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different. So I think because in baseball, there's a little bit more, but there's definitely that misconception with hockey, especially as you mentioned, because I'm a woman. I remember one time I had mentioned something about like in hockey, I was in my, it was in Russian class. I took Russian in college and we're all talking about things and they're like, I would have never thought with your stature, your demeanor, you're so soft-spoken that you'd be a hockey fan and enjoy the more physical aspects of it. And then I've had people say, why would you like that sport? It's a white person's sport. There's like no black people in here. And at one point, I could literally probably name on two hands all the uh, the African-American people in, in the sport. And that was counting people from Canada because they consider themselves to be African-American. So, you know, I definitely don't think it's the same as far as 
how the level of degree of stigmatism, but I definitely see where Veronica's coming from because people don't think generally that a lot of African-American people like the sport of baseball or would even go and watch it and invest time in it and so forth. So, And then, too, with baseball, for a while you had Ken Griffey Jr. And people were like, you know, I don't think hockey's had that at least not recently. I mean, back in the day, they had, um, was it Willie? Was it Willie? Well, really, Willie Reed was one of the first that actually in- integrated the sport itself. But there's not really been a standout African-American right. player that a lot of people, I mean, you have, like, you know, people from a team, you know, you PJ Subban from this team and that team and so forth. But no one that they kind of put out in, in the public space of the NHL. So. I thought Jerome McGinley was that guy at one point. And when you think about it, like we look at teams like the Caps, they like led the market when it came to black players. There was, of course, Donald Brashear. There's, I feel like Donovan Greer was one of them. Of course, Devontae Smith-Pelly was the key figure on that Stanley Cup team uh, a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. And it's crazy that, yeah, I mean, there's a few black players in the NHL that regardless if they're, you know, Canadian or they're American, to me, black is black. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And there's just not a lot of them. But, you know, that's another one of the sports where they're saying there's just not opportunity. Um, That I do agree with in regards to that. Because it's just, you know, it's, you got to live in an area, even if you're not in the inner city, you have to live in an area where there's a rink. And then most of the time, your parent, either your mom or your dad or both, they're up at 6 a.m. driving you to the rink. And then there's the equipment and so forth. And it's one of those things where it's just not readily accessible for everyone as far as why they're not more fans. I mean, that one I can't attest unless it's just because there's not a lot of representation in the sport and people are just kind of like, eh, they don't see a lot of our people. So, yeah. And I was having like an early discussion. It's funny. We compared it to like pro wrestling, how, you know, it's interesting. If you see more people that look like you, you're more at the believe that you're more engaged with it. And it's like, yeah, well, true. If you don't see enough black baseball players or black hockey players, you're not going to be as engaged. And we were just talking about black baseball players. You know, I completely forgot to, to mention it because his son was the Super Bowl MVP, Pat Mahomes, who used to pitch for the Twins. And that's a perfect example wow. of, an, of, you know, Pat Mahomes Jr. and Russell Wilson. Now, a lot of those guys were drafted by major league teams, even though some of those were like mm-hmm. token draft picks. But, I mean, even Ken Griffey's son, who plays football, was drafted but right. it, it's it's crazy when you think about it. it. It is very disheartening when you see the decline of black players. And you mentioned that Jet Magazine where you'll see by team, they'd go by team. And and it's easy to, because I've heard some of the comments when we talk about why is there not enough black players in the majors, but it's easy to say, well, the Dominican players or the Hispanic players are of African descent. I mean, that's like saying, well, why don't we have enough white people playing in the NBA? Well, you guys got some, uh, you know, European American guys. Uh, that, that's yeah, easy to say. You right. got Luka mm-hmm, Doncic, mm-hmm. and you got Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, you know, you had Steve Nash at one point. It would look bad if someone said that to anyone. But right. I personally just think it is sort of disheartening to see that because I love baseball and I know that we are currently still very young. We all skew very young when it comes to the median age of fans for baseball, because I feel like it's going up to like sixties or so. And we're Mm -hmm. well, well, well younger than that. And I feel like is starting to get scary. 
I feel like a few right. things they've been trying to do to make the game more amenable to young fans isn't really working. And the whole pace of Me play, either. pace of playing, there's just something about baseball where there shouldn't be time. It never has exactly. been time and it shouldn't never be. And there are times when people watch football games, there's more downtime. If you've been to a football game live, there's more downtime yeah. in between them getting the yeah. chains together, then winding up the clock, switching the balls out. It's just... Yeah, that's no. funny because people always say baseball was boring. They're like, oh, baseball's so boring, you know. Like, I need to be. But I'm like, but football constantly is it's stop and go. So, you know, with baseball is, you know, it's more if you sit down and, like, you can watch it. And I remember one of the best quotes from baseball, I think, was Earl Weaver. He, he basically said, you know, baseball's the only sport where you don't compete against the clock. And that, like, that to me, when they started instituting that clock between that, like, I was just like, what? Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, why is there a time... I was like, what in the world? I was like, this isn't the NBA. And it's it's just weird. I don't know. I don't know. And and then, like, with the youth thing, I think that them pushing out all the older guys, like Adam Jones, and there was a couple, there was another couple other people the year he went to free agency who didn't sign and who still had, like, years left in them. And it's like, to me, it's like they're trying to push these guys out, whereas when Cal was playing, they played into their 40s. And, I mean, even Julio Franco was, what, 50? Yeah, about When 50. he stopped playing? Him and Jamie so, Moyer. Th- that's the one thing about baseball, I think, too, that's so unique is that, you know, we they've always had people who would play. And obviously, they're not playing the way you were when you're in your 20s and 30s, but they were still playing still pretty good, you know, players. But now it's like they're trying to push all those guys out. And I think that's a really bad idea. Look at the Nationals. They would have made it. Howie Kendrick was in and um, Struba Cabrera were a huge part of the um, of their championship last year. And if they hadn't they hadn't been given that chance, you know, where were the Nationals have been? So. I think that's part of it, too. They're trying to, I think, not only with just African-Americans kids, but I think with kids in general, football is not is now becoming the big thing. It's like, you know, baseball was America's pastime. I don't think it is anymore, you know, and just because in general, it just seems like you said, like they're pushing like the the fan base seems to be getting older and older. And it's like I think most fans are like kind of going toward football. And, you know, and, and basketball, too, but really football. Football has really become a big, you know, sell. People, like, of all ages like that. So I think baseball is just kind of, it's lacking. But I think pushing out your your older guys and changing the rules is, is not helping at all. Yeah, and I think we were just talking about how maybe it's just this whole new mentality of young gun jams who are sort of following this sort of sabermetric and analytic thing where it's like, well, we can get more stuff out of these younger guys. You know, they hit their peak, maybe 30, 32. And then after that, I mean, it's not like they're dead and they're done. I mean, like say what we want about Barry Bonds, but he did play till was like early to mid forties. Mm-hmm. What, you right. know, you still have to yeah. work out and you still have to do all that stuff to still be productive yep. in your forties. Even if you're on something, I mean, Clemens mm-hmm. the same, Greg Maddox, the same, those guys played for a very long time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look at, um, Bartolo Cologne. He's still playing. I mean, obviously he's not where he was when he was, you know, but he's still out there playing. And and it's funny now because he has more, I think I feel like he has more of a following because of, you know, his persona, the whole persona, but still, he's still contributing. And, you know, that that's something that, you know, baseball is unique in that way. And obviously with football, you can't play into your, it, football is such a hard taxing sport on your body. You can't play, but baseball, you know, it's not as bad. So I think that, you know, that's something that they should continue to do is just have these guys. But I mean, honestly, if you come into the majors when you're 19, like Manny Machado and Britt, you're not going to, and you get all that money, they're not going to play into their fifties. You know, that 
they signed with the 10, 12, 13 year contracts now. So when those contracts are up, they're probably like, I'm out, you know, and that and you're right. And that's probably what the teams want. They want to get them to that age and then be like, okay, now here's the next young gun. So I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to work, but. Yeah. And I think especially you see like the Braves signing these guys like Acuna and everybody for like these ridiculously cheap deals over eight, nine years. So by the time when they hit their free agency peak, when they're about 30, 31, either they're going to get a huge payday and regretting that they'd signed too early or they ended up getting sort of discarded and cast off because, hey, now you're too old for us because mm-hmm. certain things don't age because they're looking at all the numbers and everything. I'm like, statistics have a their place in baseball. They should not be the overruling matter as to see if whether somebody can still play because smart right. GMs will be able to use both, not only numbers, but the you know their know-how because you can build teams. Even with these guys with cheap veterans, maybe they shouldn't be paid that much if they're like 34 and you know, and that's understandable, but smart GMs know how to use them both. I feel like that's the right. issue. Some teams are go too heavy. And then when you thought people cracked the code, they just were cheating like the Astros. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I expect more teams to be more like the A's where they, they think they have it together, but eh, they, they always come up short as opposed to the Astros oh, poor where, A's, they yeah. do, where they do <laughs> it through nefarious means. And I think that's very disappointing when you look at the Astro stuff. And I know that will be a big issue and we'll see how they handle that. But um, right. one of the things I wanted to ask, especially in addition to sports stuff, well, and one thing I'll ask you, Nicole, being a hockey fan, you are a Buffalo Sabres fan. How did you become a Buffalo Sabres fan, especially <laughs> being so close to Maryland and not uh, def- being a Caps fan? That's uh, an interesting story. So when I started in the hockey, I actually started out as um, a Florida Panthers fan. Because we were actually living up in this area, and it was during the playoffs for 96, I believe. And in the Eastern Conference Finals, it was the Flyers, who I hated, and Lowe's, because that's all I hear about in school. Um, and then they were playing against the Florida Panthers. Well, my younger brother, Patrick, was watching a game. During that game, all I kept hearing was one name, Jovanovski, Jovanovski, Jovanovski. So I immediately became obsessed with the game, with the hits that, that Jovanovski was laying on Lindros, and with the game itself. So I actually was a Panthers fan and stayed that way until they kind of just decided to restructure and rebuild And a good deal of my, my players that I liked on the team actually were on the, what got moved to the Buffalo Sabres, like Rhett Warner. So I kind of followed them, you know, to Buffalo and it just kind of stayed that way from there. But, and that's how I became a fan of those teams. So, I mean, I just, I just did not like the Flyers. I, because of their fans, and how they were always so cocky. I loathe the team. Like Broad Street bullies and everything else. I was like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's always like one player. And I didn't really watch a lot of hockey growing up. I mean, I watched the Caps during their, their heyday, especially that run where they would always get knocked out by the Penguins. It was like players <laughs> that I took an interest in, like Al McInnes on the Blues because he had like one of the fastest slap Flat shots. Dogs. Yeah, and then, mm-hmm. of course, Phil Housley, when he came to uh, Washington, yeah, Phil Housley was my guy on defense. Yeah, yeah, he certainly uh, he certainly did. I'm again, it's, I remember um, he, um, uh, Chris Pronger got hit in the chest with one of his slap shots one time. Mm-hmm. He just happened to catch in the way, and, you know, they're like, hey, dude, you're okay, right? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, 10 seconds later, he collapsed on the ice. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, Chris Prager was a big dude. But they're like, that just shows you, like, the magnitude and how, how hard Chris, like, Al McGinnis could shoot a slap shot that it's so hard enough to take a, you know, a 6'4", like, you know, 200-some pound guy down like that. Yeah, and I just, like, man, it's just, I can only imagine being a goalie. And I don't think all the padding in the world can help you, even with those slap shots. I mean, I can imagine a shot from Ovechkin. Oh, my gosh. It, it probably be one of those debilitating shots yeah one thing that we normally do on the podcast that always ask some of the guests sometimes is if there were to be a celebrity a movie about your life who would you have play you and follow that up with what celebrity have you been told that you most look like you go first because um, that's a good question so i'm gonna say um and i always forget her name but it's it's Oh, she's in Blackish. She was the girlfriend. Because everyone says I look like her. Oh, what is her name? Uh, Tracy um, Ellis Ross. Tracy, Tracy Ellis Ross. Tracy Ellis Ross. <laughs> I would say Tracy Ellis Ross because I've been told by a lot of people, apparently, that I look like her. But I think we have a lot of the same personality traits, at least the, like on the show Blackish. I, I feel like we do. I feel like I have a lot of same characteristics and same like isms as Rainbow does on Earth. So I would say her. I don't know. I mean, I don't really get told I look like anybody. The only person that someone's ever told me I look like is like a famous person was, a, which is kind of funny because she's like twelve, I think, or at the time. And she told me it was the daughter on Blackish. She told me I look like Marty or the girl, and I'm like, what? And I, I don't know, but I want Angela Bassett to play me because I just love Angela Bassett. She's a badass actress. So, yeah. but um, other than that, I can't think of anyone who I look like in as far as celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, that's always interesting. I know that, like, for example, when we were doing, like, a Daily Times movie of the people in the Daily Times, we had always were, like, debating who would play who. And, like, I remember when I had said for Nicole, I was like, Rosario Dawson. If you've seen her in class, oh, like, yeah, like her. glasses, you know, like, it's like, that's Nicole. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, certain people, it's like, we ran through everybody. We were like, okay, um... Like I, I saw this, like for example, Joe Carmine. I, the person I thought would probably look most like him is like Will Arnett from Arrested Development. Job. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. And it's like, yeah, that that's perfect because yeah, because just the way Will Arnett plays those underhanded, devious characters, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much a fit. It's crazy. It's like, and sometimes you never think about when people say certain things. It's like, I just one coworker. It's like, people say she looks like Cameron Diaz. I'm like, you know, I didn't look at it before. I'm like, now I do see it. It's like, you don't really think about it. It's like, right. it's like years of singing a song uh, and you've had the lyrics wrong for years. And then you look at it. It's like, oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Kind of like with, um, you know, Veronica, that Billy Ocean song, Caribbean <laughs> Queen. She thought it was carry me, please. And I'm like, I how did you get Caribbean Queens off of Caribbean Queens? I had but, no idea. That's what he was saying. I don't, I don't. And like you said, and you look back, you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> but I mean, that just happens. I was like a lot of stuff. You're like, oh, well, that makes sense now. <laughs> That's pretty much most of the stuff on, on the Thriller album. Some of that stuff I could not make out until you look at the lyrics and like, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Speaking of music, I know that. Nicole, you are being into K-pop. There's got to be a story on how you got interested in that and um, and whether that's influenced uh, Veronica any as well. 
Um, so Edward's influenced Veronica? No. Interesting stories. I actually used to listen to Canto Pop. Canto Pop is the same thing as K-pop, except in China, like with their actors and everything, they actually had them put out albums because they figured we might as well just, you know, go ahead and make money off both markets. There are movies. We'll go ahead and make meal money off music as well. And on my profile, I had that I was into Canto Pop. And it was the girl from actual, actually from Brussels who reached out and said, hey, what's Canto Pop? And I told her. And she goes, oh, that seems like it's a lot like K-pop. With the only exception, the K-pop artists most of the time don't act in movies, but check this out. And she sent me a link for Big Bang. And I was like, oh, wow, I really like that music. And so <clears throat> from there... She and I just kept exchanging. We were, you know, we actually got, got to be good friends and she would just send me different artists and so forth. Um, and interestingly enough, right on the same time I was looking at, they were re-releasing or they were releasing, I should say, Speed Racer. And in the movie Speed Racer was Rain, who's a K-pop artist. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I was like, send something to her. I said, hey, you know, this Rain's going to be in a upcoming a live action version of Speed Race. So it sounds like they kind of do like something like that. And she goes, oh yeah, he really is. He's been around for a while. She sent me his music from there. It's just been kind of, yeah, it's, it's just been kind of like, you know, I mean, I've been a K-pop fan before it became really popular before BTS blew up and everything. So yeah. I mean, I do listen to some K-pop though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, I'm not a big K-pop fan, but I do listen to some. And I mean, I, I can't help it because Whenever I'm, well, when she was really into it, she was always playing it in the car. So it's kind of like I had to, but, I still you know, play it in the car. but, and I, but a lot of my music interests did come from like them because I'm the youngest. So I had older siblings. So a lot of my music interests came from what they listened to and what my parents listened to. And then, and, and then I have my own, you know, so, but I pretty much listen to anything, any, all types of music. So. Yeah, I was going to ask that as well. What musical tastes did, did you have? Because it, it's interesting. It's hard to peg people into any particular genre because I think it with music, to truly like a lot of different versions, styles of music, at least it makes you a little more open. Um, right. And I mean, because just like you'll hear probably some of the, the, the people who have the greatest appreciation for all types of music are the people who've played a, a variety of it, who've listened yep. to a lot of it. I mean... I can go with like on my iPod, the different styles of music or I'll listen to. I mean, it's anything from rock to R&B, the country to TV show themes to movie music from movies, the pro wrestling themes. It's just anything. It's just and I know people don't like being pegged in a particular thing. And like and that goes from everybody, you know, the whitest friend, you know, could love Snoop and or anything, you know, and that's an easy way to to put it. But, you know, because I feel like we always try to box people into particular genres right and that that's true a lot of and i found out a lot of people aren't really not that many people are into like a lot of music like they like i love reggaeton like i love i've never and i've been into reggaeton since before it became popular i mean now you got like bad bunny and everybody's listening to it but i was like i was into it and what actually really i liked it before but really got it got me into it funny enough it was javi lopez because his at bat song was gasolina and i just loved that song and then I love reggaeton. I like reggaeton before that, but that was that's what really got me into reggaeton. And so I listened to reggaeton. I listened to, like you said, like it's funny because sometimes when I'm at work, I'll have my music on shuffle. And I, the other day, I was joking with some of my friends at work, and I was like, I was like, I just went to church. I went to the hood. I went to this country because my like it was it's that's how diverse my musical genre is. But a lot of people they're surprised that I listen to that, you know. And 
one of my friends, um, she's Indian, and I was, she was listening to her slang. I was like, oh, I like that. She was like, but you don't understand what they're saying. I'm like, it doesn't matter. And that's the thing is like, and I always tell people when Usher goes to like China or he goes to Italy, they don't, they don't necessarily understand what he's saying, but it's just, it's music in itself. And that's the beauty of music. You don't always have to understand what they're saying to really appreciate the music itself. And um, so it, it just, it does surprise me how many people are not that open when it comes to music, it, you know, but I guess everybody has their own taste, but it just, I feel like, when, like you said, when it, you open it up, it kind of makes you more of a diverse person. Yeah, and I think like mm-hmm. session musicians, those people understand because they're playing all types of music. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They have a greater appreciation. And I like to believe a lot of musicians, I mean, there's probably rock musicians uh, who have an impact that, uh, I mean, I hear like some of the metal singers and some of the, the rock singers, especially for like the 60s, 70s or so, Motown had a big impact on them. And that, that, mm-hmm. impact, and mm-hmm. that and it shows up in their music. I mean, like I said, like how many... Motown related songs with Rod Stewart done. There's like at least two or three. Uh, and, yeah, and you're right. Shows. Yeah. I mean, so it, it all depends on how open you are. And I feel like if you can influence people with music, that's huge. There was a one song that I was thinking, like, everybody was listening to it. I was watching, reading the YouTube comments, which normally is a cesspool. And everybody is like, <laughs> you know, I'm, like, I'm 50 years old and I'm, oh no. There's this guy who the, the channel is Bill McClintock. He has mixed a lot of Motown songs with like metal songs. And the transitions are oh, absolutely, okay. re- they're great. And they're absolutely great. And my goodness, it's like, man, I'm 50 years old. And I remember seeing, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I remember I'm 50 years old. And I remember seeing uh, Ozzy Osbourne play and I've seen, and I've seen the Temptations in concert. It's like, this, it's just, it's, the things just work. And if you're willing mm, yeah. and open enough, and I feel like maybe at the time, the 60s was probably a little, 60s, maybe 70s, a little more diverse and listening to all different types of music as opposed to, and I guess the 80s were fine, and I'm not going to knock that. That's a, the era that we all grew up in. But it got different in the 90s. It feel like, I feel like styles became different. And then now the problem is everything's so homogeneous. I, I can't. Right. When country sounds like rap, and if they don't have a distinct sound, why right. try to make everything mm-hmm. the same? And Right. I, I don't yeah, because a lot of the country artists <laughs> I listened to were like older, like Tim McGraw, um, Kenny Chesney, Randy Travis, um, Darius Rucker. I don't, I don't know a lot of it. I do like Kane Brown a little bit, but I don't know a lot of the modern country singers because it's like I want country to sound like he's like country, you know. And and there's nothing wrong with combining them. I, I think it's great when you can combine music, but not all. You know what I mean? It's all kind of, you know. And even like the hip hop is just like it's all sounding the same. Like I like she was playing the radio one day and we were in a car and I'm like, what? Like I'm like I don't understand what they were saying. And it all sounded like three, four songs in a row. They all sounded the same. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, have I gotten to that age where I'm old and everything is just like, ooh. But yeah, I mean, it, and I think too, Motown was like a golden era because, I mean, you think about it, people are still listening to Motown. People still are, you know, talking about, you know, this 50s and 60s music. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and it's like, especially you think like it's still popular and I feel like at a point they were so far behind. It's like now old stuff that came out in the 60s are, are like being big hits and being redone. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a big thing that's huge. And, you know, yeah, when everything sounds all generic, what's the point? It's like, I'll use R&B as an example. You listen to different types of R&B, you can tell the difference between an Earth, Wind & Fire song and an Isley Brothers song. And, right. And every, you know, a Jackson song. 
everything the whispers i mean they all sounded different and they all had their different style it's when you try right. to put them into when you try to shoehorn them marvin Gaye doesn't sound like cb wonder and nobody wanted him to and mm-hmm. they just had to have their own style and i feel like it's great but now i guess the more you listen to old music it's like man they did take a lot of nods to other songs in their genre too but i mean it wasn't as blatant as it is now where it's just and I have no issue with sampling. It's just, it feels like sampling tends to be uh, beaten into the ground a lot. Right. You know, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your schedule to, to be a part of this podcast. I guess the biggest thing is for people who are interested in maybe catching up with you once this episode comes out, I want to talk to you a little more about baseball or, or things like that, hockey, or even K-pop. What are the best ways people can reach out to you on social media? Not sure if you guys do Twitter, the Twitter thing, or you do the Facebook thing a lot, or even Instagram, but what would you say the best way people can reach out to you? Me, it's Facebook. I'm mainly on, I'm on Instagram too, but I, I have a tendency to forget I'm on Instagram, so I don't really, um, but Facebook, I mainly do Facebook, and you know, yeah, mine's Facebook, too. I mean, I do have a Twitter account. I do have Instagram. I believe my Twitter account is Lady G Dragon 09. Isn't it Lady Dark Dragon? No, it's Lady G Dragon. Oh, okay. Lady G Dragon 09. And then Facebook is probably the best way to reach me because that's what I check daily. So Again, I look forward to having you guys back. I know one of the things that you always used to talk about were the rides that you guys used to take uh, to get to Orioles games. And I can only imagine yeah. so many travel <laughs> stories that you guys have uh, when it comes to making the trip from Salisbury to, to, to Delaware, to Baltimore and then back. Cause I can mm. only imagine. Yeah. I mean, there have been, I think probably the best or the most prolific was the very first time we went out on our own. Cause I got lost so many times. I mean, and then like I, we were at the hotel, we got there. I was like, no, let's go, let's go check things out. I ran a red light first of all to begin with. Cause I didn't see it. And, um, but it's just, I have like, I don't have a good sense of direction and Ronnie doesn't have a lot of patience, but when you combine those two, it's just, it's, it's never fun. But yeah, I mean, it's always, we always get lost or we're going down the wrong street. But. We always have to have one argument. Like that's just, I mean, we're both Aries. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but we always, we can't have a trip without at least one argument. That's just, I mean, <laughs> but you know, but it made for good memories. So. You know, people laugh at our stories, I guess. So I guess that's something, I guess. Yeah, we've been told we should write a book <laughs> about all of our adventures. And people would look forward. They'd be like, when you come back from your trip, tell me what happened. And I would be like, all right. What's the age difference between you two? Five, five years. Wow. Yeah, I was going to guess yeah. like four. So I, I was like, I didn't think it would be that. I didn't think it was going to be like a big gap. You know, how some people had like sibling 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, most people don't realize we're that far apart, I guess, because we're so close. I mean, and it was growing up, we, we obviously were never in the same school. So people did, you know, but then as we, became, as we were older, we hung out a lot of people. And But she was always like, that's one thing, she was always pretty good. She was never one of those sisters like, oh, you can hang out with me. So, um, but yeah, I think people are always surprised that we're so close in age. They, I mean, they were so, there's a big gap in our age. They always thought we were like. Because we're so close. Together, yeah. Like we're, you know. They always think we're like a year. Well, actually, a lot of people think we're twins. I mean, we tell them we're not twins, and they're like, mm-hmm. you have to be sisters. And we're like, yeah, and then they think, you know. And then we have the same birthday, so that confuses them even more. And they're like, well, I thought you said you weren't twins. I'm like, we're not twins. We just have the same birthday. <laughs> so it's like, it's difficult, and it's, you know, it's, and the youth- but yeah, it's fun. I mean. Mm-hmm. And the youthful appearance doesn't hurt either, because that makes you guys, uh, the people think. 
I know Nicole told all the stories how people have probably had to ID her for for different things in the stores and, and yeah. restaurants and bars. Oh yeah, yeah, all the time, ma'am. I need your ID, and I'm like, oh, I already had it out. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I forgot one thing. I guess um, I know you talked about Kirsten. Uh, is there hope to get her to become a baseball fan as well? I know that you guys watch a lot of. Uh, a lot of TV and things like that. And she's starting to pick up on the supernatural and right. Yeah. I mean, she's already like had the seed planted in being Orioles fans. Cause Kelly, you, you, she works at, you know, works a paper with us. Still works there. She gave her a onesie, an Orioles onesie. She's worn at my sister's bought her countless and every day for opening day, she dresses her up in all the Orioles gear. So, and she knows I love baseball. She always knows, like she'll always say on your baseball. So she knows that, you know, my thing and and um so yeah i hope so i mean i tried it with my other nieces and nephews and well a couple of them and I, they just weren't you know so hopefully with her since she lives so close i can get her that's one thing i can get her to you know because her and i have a lot of you know she likes a lot of like she likes girly stuff and she likes and the last stuff i picked she's picked up one for me so i'm hoping that baseball is one of them that she really tuned into and like I can't wait till we can take her to a game. I think we should probably start with a minor league game first. We'll probably take her to a Blue Rocks game first because it's, you know, not where she has, she's over it. At least it's not, you know, way out and it's not as bad and you don't, you don't spend as much money. So hopefully maybe this summer, once this whole coronavirus thing is over, we can take her to a Blue Rocks game. Yeah, and I think especially that's one of the pluses, especially minor league baseball. And now that the Orioles are doing that whole cheer-free thing, kids under a certain age cheer-free, that. That's, oh yeah, that's right. It's a uh, it's a big benefit, especially now that they're trying to make that approach to bring in younger fans, and you know, so mm-hmm. when this sustained bridge of success occurs, that you have ready made fans who've grown up and and seen it, who were there from the beginning to where they are now. Definitely, definitely, that's the best way to get them, get them young, and get them into the to loving the the sport and. Thank you guys so much for being on the show, and I look forward to doing this. Thank again. you. I had fun. I had a lot of fun. Oh. Yeah, thank you so much, Earl. It's nice catching up with you. Oh, we'll yeah. do it again. I'd like to thank the Day Sisters for taking time for being part of this interview, and I hope there will be more topics of discussion to have next time. Next week, my nephew, Chaudry Johnson, will come to the mic. We'll be discussing what it's like being a three-sport high school athlete, his L.A. Lakers fandom, and much more. New episodes are available each week on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else podcasts are heard. You can also go to the Sports Refuge website for a complete archive of episodes. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.